Hello, and uh, welcome again to the second episode of your favorite new stoner cinema cast, Hotbox the Cinema. I am your toker-in-chief, Nathan Smith. You may know me from Twitter, at Trimmore Girls. I am a writer and critic about film, music, media, all of those good things that you see with your eyes and hear with your ears. And I am with, again, as I was last week, which is like half an hour ago, because we're recording this second episode right after we recorded our first episode, because I wanted to stock up on content. I'm here with one of my favorite thinkers on games and moving images, Seth Shepard. How's it going, Seth? Pretty good. Pretty good. I'm here. Thanks for the introduction. Not Toker in Chief, though, which is fine no. by me. But... No. We're on the Google Hangout, and I see right next to you a bag of Toy Story 4 goldfish. Yeah. Actually, right underneath the John Wick 2 poster. Right underneath. A lot of Keanu going on over there yeah. on the right side of my Like the weird Keanu screen. beard revival thing. So you're munching on some of those Toy Story 4 um, goldfish. Are yeah. they good? Uh, they taste a little bit, actually, like... They're like goldfish, but they have like a little bit of like a leaning toward like the whales or like the more like oh. salty baked cheese snack cracker flavor. Yeah, some of the like higher end cheese snacks, mm-hmm. the bunnies. Yeah, so um, it's not bad. You know, you got a Woody and a Buzz shaped one in there um, among the goldfish. And also there's a purple goldfish in there. Whoa, who is the purple? Like the aliens or like Buzz? I don't know, actually. We got to see the movie Toy Story 4 on home video now. I think we're sponsored by Toy Story 4, actually. Um, Exclusive sponsor. Get Bob Iger on the phone. I am in lieu of Toy Story 4 Goldfish. I I have my bong filled with this nice wedding cake. Uh, That's the strain that I am sipping on right now. The the strain that smiles back. (laughs) That was really dumb. No, it's good. I like it. Uh, Goldfish, a real good munchie. You know, classic. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Love to fire up a streaming service and eat goldfish and hit the bong. Cheez-Its also good. Yeah, I like the white cheddar Cheez-Its a good bit. Yeah, you know, Cheez-Its and uh, goldfish are kind of like a little bit like clones of each other with a little bit of difference. They're both cheese, but they're their own people, even though they come from the same food. Also, I feel like goldfish are for a younger age yes. group. That clone skews a bit younger because they're a bit, they feel like they're like more kid marketed in a way that Cheez It is like. Cheez It has that whole tagline, that advertising thing about, oh, this cheese is mature. You know, you mm-hmm. don't want some fucking kitty cheese. You don't want some lunchable cheese. You want. Yeah, they used to have those commercials of like the cheese getting psych evaluations and stuff. <laughs> you want the Manchego because you're yeah. a man. Put the man in Manchego, Cheez-Its. Um, so so that, that little dumb segue brings us to our topic today, which is about clones and uh, one younger, one older, Gemini Man. It's the new film from the illustrious filmmaker Ang Lee of movies like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Hulk, yep. Brokeback Mountain, Taking Woodstock. Yep. Starring, uh, you got Will Smith, you got yeah. Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Clive Owen. Clive Owen. 
and another Will Smith. You've got two Will Smith for the price of one. That's why we go to the movies, people. That is why, yeah. even as expensive as movie tickets are in this post-movie pass economy, we go to the movies when they give us two Will Smiths. That's all anybody wants. Yeah. Well, it's like that period when rappers would make like a 20-song Spotify album or something. Like or, right now, you mean? Yeah, well, I guess it's not <laughs> as prevalent now, but I guess maybe a better metaphor actually for buying songs and everything would be like a DJ Khaled song where you get like six <laughs> artists for 129 on iTunes. You get two future features on the same song for the price of one. Mm-hmm. That's like Will Smith, uh, the immortal Will Smith. So the kind of the big thing about this movie and the reason why some people are really excited to go see it and other people are a little mocking and dismissive of it is because of the technology behind it. If you don't already know, this movie is playing in multiple formats. You've got the standard 2D, two-dimensional, 24 frames per second, 2K version. Just the standard image you know you see at the movie theater. Then you have the... 3D version, um, which is in a high frame rate. It is in 60 frames per second. And that's in like Dolby Vision or whatever. And then you have another 3D plus format, 120 frames per second playing. Which is the original shooting format. Yeah, which is like, you know, the, the kind of ideal way to see it, which is only showing in a few theaters in the country and by the time that this episode comes out i think that unfortunately it will not be available in the u.s in that format probably anywhere um, yeah since this, since this movie's not doing incredibly well but then there is one more format which can only show it i believe one theater in the united states there are more theaters in asia beijing shanghai taipei where it can be screened but that is the 4k 120 frames per second 3d plus version so that is like the I, Ang Lee's ideal format, but you can't even see that anywhere in the United States, which I think speaks to a lot of things about the film industry today. And also there were those, uh, some of the screenings had like the tactile chairs and stuff. Yes, the D-Box. Yeah. And there's also IMAX, which is, I don't think, a high frame rate. I don't think so either. I like tried calling, when I was looking at screening options available to me, I saw the, the 60 frames, 3D plus. Yeah. And then there was like one or two theaters doing IMAX and I tried asking them in like about as embarrassing a way as this question would come out, but like what's the frame rate on the IMAX and it seemed just standard. Yeah, that's the the thing kind of as just like finding out information about all these formats has been a little difficult and figuring out, you know, showtimes, which one precisely it is, has been a little tricky mm-hmm. um, and has kind of required some sleuth work. Uh, mm-hmm. on the part of people interested in those higher format. The other kind of big piece of technology with this movie is, of course, because it's about Will Smith and Will Smith's clone. His younger clone is the de-aging technology used to make Will Smith look 20 years younger. And this screenplay is actually as pretty much as old as Junior, the younger clone. It's been kicking around since 1997 when this guy, Darren Limke, who was, according to Variety, wrangling shopping carts at a shop right in Carlstad, New Jersey. He sold two ideas to Tony Scott. The first was for a movie called Undertow, which was about the search for the black box after Air Force One is blown out of the sky. Never got produced. Undertow. Honestly, yeah, I wouldn't see uh, that. I mean, that fits in with such the like 90s, like Air Force One turbulence kind of 
disaster movie mm-hmm. thing. I would watch the shit out of that. But never got produced. And then Gemini Man um, was the other one, the sci-fi thriller about a corporate assassin hunted by a younger clone of himself. Yeah, I was really surprised actually by... Well, actually, no, never mind. I was going to say I was surprised by the date that it was sold in 1997 yeah. because it seems so much like Metal Gear uh, Solid, the video yeah. game franchise, which the Metal Gear Solid games didn't start till like 1998, but actually the original games, just Metal Gear 1 and 2, are about Solid Snake sneaking in to kill the super soldier he's cloned from. Oh my god. So actually those came out long before this movie and they could totally have been just yeah pretty blatantly lifted from i mean and people have been saying too like when trailers for this movie came out people were saying like oh this looks like you know a ripoff of ryan johnson's looper where you know you've got joseph gordon levitt as a younger version of bruce willis who's an assassin but i mean it's more likely that looper was a ripoff of gemini man since the screenplay was circulating for so long or maybe ryan johnson was just ripping off metal gear solid too um yeah or something you know i don't know obviously uh with all of the technology that was sort of needed for this movie it didn't get produced until the late 2010s darren limke did not have any of his pitches produced until he uh worked on the screenplay for shrek forever after in 2010 and now this screenplay has been kind of polished and retouched by the Game of Thrones guys. Yeah. But you really see, like, the history of this project, a lot of things about how the industry has changed. I mean, pretty much anybody you can think of, any male lead of the past several decades was attached to this movie at one point or another. I mean, Tom Cruise, Stallone, Schwarzenegger, Clint Eastwood, John Voight, Brad Pitt, Mel Gibson, just everybody, you know, you can think of. There were um, special effects tests done for it in the late 90s, which I was doing a little bit of research today and found that some of the effects tests were actually like footage of Mel Gibson from 1982 in the year of Living Dangerously, seemingly interacting with Mel's character from Payback from 1999. Um, And I also saw somebody on Twitter the other day said that they talked to somebody who had worked on those special effects tests and that there were also effects tests done with like John Voight or something. I don't know if that's true. Um, Wow. They've been tooling with this technology for a while, but it was just delayed and delayed and delayed. And the script was reworked because they just thought it was unfeasible to actually kind of, you know, have that de-aging technology, have one actor play these two roles. The effects were done by this uh, company called the secret lab which was an animation unit owned by Disney. Disney had purchased this effects company called Dream Quest Images, who worked on movies like The Abyss and Total Recall. And then in 1996, they were bought by Disney and worked on movies like you know, Armageddon, The Rock, Mighty Joe Young, Flubber, Con Air, um, Mission to Mars. You know, This is just a real trek through like 90s. Like high concept, special effect based. Yeah, you know, the Touchstone Pictures, kind of Bruckheimer, Don Simpson brand. And their big thing was they were kind of going to be, I mean, obviously you see from those movies, you know, they weren't strictly working on like Disney, you know, movies, kids movies. They were working more on sort of ILM level adult special effects movies. They're not goldfish, they're cheese at special effects. (laughs) Exactly. The mature, fine wine, special effects crowd. Um, So they were going to make these animated movies geared toward adults. That was going to be their thing. They were working on this movie for a long time called The Wild, which came out 
in like 2006 produced by another Disney animation unit with Kiefer Sutherland and it was originally going to be a like Zootopia but like adult where like all of these animals like go to strip clubs and stuff and like do crimes and drugs. Does Kiefer Sutherland play like a Jack Bauer character in this like adult Zootopia instead of just the nice police they have like the counterterrorism unit in this? I wish the gritty Zootopia uh it ended up becoming just like a kid's movie because the secret lab was shut down in the early 2000s after doing dinosaur which is a sort of interesting like special effects experiment Mm -hmm. using cgi dinosaurs with actual footage of landscapes so speeding up a few years this was kicking around disney until like two years ago when ang lee got involved after experimenting with high frame rate with his last movie billy lynn's long halftime walk which most people didn't see a lot of people didn't see kind of bombed yeah i didn't see it till after i watched this and you recommended it to me yeah i watched it before seeing gemini man like at the end of september and was really blown away by it but it didn't really show you know very many places in its ideal format Ang Lee had wanted to experiment with this, this technology after he was really disappointed by the 3D with Life of Pi and how sort of dim and choppy it looked. So this is kind of the result of that. And it's a very singular movie going event and experiment that I was really looking forward to. And I know you also had a similarly hype experience and were yeah. really looking forward to it. I was really excited about it, but also I, I'm a bit of a sucker for the action movies with two of the same person in it yeah i mean like a double impact yeah and also you know it like makes sense that tony scott was attached to it because it's this like you were saying metal gear-esque paranoid government deep state conspiracy thriller yeah so you know it's like very kind of enjoyable to people like us who who like some of those movies yeah it's funny though that you bring up face off because i remember like recently i saw a lot of people with all this like deep fake demo stuff going around of like people changing out the faces on all the characters in the full house intro and stuff like that and people seeing like maybe how easy it is now that people who like make internet porn of like their favorite actresses or something have have figured out the deep fake technology enough that now people outside of those like really creepy yeah. like porn communities are now starting to mess around with some relatively developed tools and stuff with that stuff going around i saw a lot of people starting conversations about what a face-off movie might look like now if it was remade and it was somehow related to to a deep fake um type of like facial transfer technique instead of actual surgery yeah i mean i imagine it would be like some you know kind of like a scanner darkly sort of face scrambler where somebody gets like an implant and then it like makes some weird projection over their own face and is like a digital mask or something as opposed to the like surgery body horror of the original movie but that also just like you know removes kind of emotional stakes a little bit uh, if it can be sort of digitally undone so yeah i mean it's like i don't think that a face-off movie would work in that same way really now um Mm -hmm. but this is like a john woo movie a very emotional and melodramatic movie i think and a really sad movie like billy lynn was really sad um Mm -hmm. you've seen it twice now yeah but you saw it in the 120 frames i did i did see uh in the 120 frames per second and um i like the experience of 3d you know not all the time but i i like to try out movies in 3d you know kind of goes along with the premise of this show like intentionally changing your perspective of a movie Mm -hmm. um sometimes it's just kind of interesting to like see the differences and see what stands out um, with that additional dimension but this was like the cleanest most seamless 3d i think i've ever seen Mm -hmm. um i saw it twice in 60 frames per second so we both saw the exact same 
amount of images. <laughs> but yeah, I saw it twice, uh, both times in that 60 high frame rate, 3D plus, and I really enjoyed it. I wanted to see it twice and I'm probably going to see it again just because I know watching it on like a home Blu-ray or like a rip or something is not really yeah. going to yield the same like effect. I don't know. I haven't really seen anything like this for a lot of it though it did like kind of feel like a a bit of like a video game and also like it it feels like it's equally indebted to like tech showcase things two of those being early seventh generation like early high definition capable video games and the other being like 4k tv like best buy demo reels like showing like really colorful toucans or like just general nature documentary, slow motion, crisp, high frame rate kind of motion stuff. I feel like the visual design is like relatively sort of a kind of simple in this movie, but there is a lot of detail that pops because of the frame rate um, that doesn't really feel like it would stand out so much Mm -hmm. in a normal frame rate. Like I feel like maybe the, I don't know, something about the kind of the way that the color grabs your eyes might be a little dulled without the high frame rate. Yeah, and there were a lot of, like, the action sequences felt so much like the action shooter, third-person shooting, like, more cinematic, bent, kind of leaning games from the seventh generation, like Uncharted, kind of Gears of War. Yeah. Um, Like, those kind of games where you have these, like, huge set-piece moments, because, like, the first action scene really is, like, I mean, you can kind of say, like, the escape on the dock, but when they're doing like the motorcycle chase and running on the rooftops and everything in like Cartagena, that's like a really, I don't know, that whole set piece is something that the action's like built around all this different stuff, like running on the rooftops. And then you have all these different activities you can do and the colors obviously make it pop really well, but it's something where the action is like equal part of the reason you're watching it coupled with the environment that it's happening in. And it's not a whole lot of, like, yeah. there's some, like, environmental interactions going on in those sequences. I'm thinking of, like, when they go in that, like, open air, kind of, like, enclosed apartment living space. And they have, like, the shootout. A grenade blows up all these palm trees in the middle of it. And then in the same shot, it, like, goes to this staircase with a mirror. And they, like, throw a grenade back and forth and shoot it in yeah. the air and all that stuff. Like, those are some of the bigger, like, environmental interactions. There's that motorcycle chase that goes on, like, the wall over the coast and everything. And then back down on the streets. I don't know. That whole, the spirit of, of every cinematic sequence felt like I was watching someone play, like, Uncharted 2 or something like that. Yeah, and you do have, you know, the first-person perspective cutting in as opposed to, you know, a sort of, like, hardcore Henry only that perspective kind of way of shooting it which almost feels you know like a little bit in you know in grand theft auto where you're driving and you can like change the perspective from standard third person view to like first person driving to then some like weird helicopter shot or even that it's like a multiplayer experience kind of thing yeah like an online lobby session rather than a completely edited single player playthrough I mean, it almost sort of feels like in its own weird way, like when you just like program the computer to fight itself in Smash a little bit. Yeah. Or you like train one of those bots, which I guess kind of relates thematically to a bit of the story in the movie. But you can like get those amiibo figurines to scan in and like train it to fight a certain way by only making it fight against like different types of characters or something like that. Yeah. So you can totally groom it in a certain way. 
you bring up the like way it sort of it feels really like if not referential then very indebted to the language of video games which as you pointed out with examples like uncharted and gears of war especially always or at least you know the big budget triple a games are trying to refer to this like kind of shorthand of cinematic language Mm -hmm. yeah Um, well also like I guess that specific period when like high definition was a like widely common visual standard, not just in home viewing, but also like an output built into the consoles. It didn't come at first in like Xbox 360s, they had component out, but like the second run of them started having HDMI and like Mm -hmm. the Wii had component, but I guess that was never really HD compatible without modding. But a lot of those, the way they would like demonstrate this new technology would be like borrowing visual language from like the dominant visual form, I guess being movies as this kind of like mythic art form type thing. And a lot of like uncharted is just lifted straight out of like pulp action, like Indiana Jones, even going back to like, I don't know, like old, like Humphrey Bogart, like action swashbuckling romp kind of things. But I feel like, this also i was reading this interview with the guy who did the cinematography for this movie dion bb yeah yeah the man behind collateral and miami vice and michael bay's 13 hours yep but he uh said that when they started the movie ang lee told them we're not good enough for the format because we don't know how to use this and dion went on to say that he's right and we're trying to find and understand the language of what like high frame rate like is capable of And it feels like that absence of a language, not in a bad way, but kind of leans back on more simplistic tropes. There were so many moments in this movie where like just the character relationships are so funny because you have like main character, sidekick, and then like cigar chomping, military buddy tagging along for the globetrotting adventure in a way that it feels like this type of structure for like an action adventure movie isn't really as common these days in a blockbuster yeah you know it's at one hand like this very 90s you know it's produced by jerry bruckheimer thriller but like you're saying there is an element that almost feels like a like howard hawks kind of classic or even like there's one moment specifically when they're trying to escape the dock and mary elizabeth winstead is fighting that operative in like the little guardhouse and everything and there are like two shots where it frames the window pretty equally on all Mm -hmm. sides and then like has people punch or be pushed through the window and they're like being pushed at the camera so it's like a 3d demonstration but it also reminded me of like action sequences in much older movies with much less camera movement but as something that was like kind of a new sensation yeah to a viewing audience i mean that's the thing is that this movie has some of the cleanest action that i've seen at least in an american studio movie in a long time and I think a lot of that is is just by nature of the technology, both maybe producing a cleaner 3D image, but also like just to show, I mean, there's no reason to make some kind of really frenetic, chaotic action, at least yet with the high frame rate, just because that wouldn't be really demonstrating its capacity. I also think it would probably just make people a little too ill. So, you know, there are these kind of technical reasons to keep the movement to a minimum. But it does, it does, I don't know, it's really, that's a really interesting point because I feel like a lot of times with these new developments in technology, you see, uh, I don't know if it's quite nostalgia, but at least a kind of return to early cinema. I mean, a very obvious example is something like Hugo, you know, Martin Scorsese experimenting with 3D, but making this love letter to George Melies and 
you know, kind of fantastical silent cinema um, mm-hmm. that died out. I mean, even, you know, a movie I mentioned earlier produced by the company that was going to do the effects for Gemini Man, Dinosaur, is like you see a lot of times at these cusps of new development in CGI or mm-hmm. animation and visual effects, create like dinosaurs or something that are returned to. I mean, you see like one of the earliest silent keyframe films, Gertie the Dinosaur, is about, you know, somebody drawing a dinosaur and then it coming to life. You've got Jurassic Park, a very obvious example, you know, a movie that really changed a lot of people's minds about the capabilities of CGI. And then Dinosaur, which is like trying to meld actual nature, an actual kind of nature film in a landscape, a real landscape with animated dinosaurs. It's funny, though, that you bring up Hugo because uh, I guess in terms of like new filmmaking formats and technology and people exploring them, another field that's kind of developing, but not i don't really see as much potential in as like volumetric filmmaking like Mm -hmm. sitting down vr like experiences where stuff's happening around you um i was looking at an old job at this vr library that we had and trying to curate some stuff and there was some free things on there and one of them was made by google but it was like a vr paper crafty version of a trip to the moon oh wow but it was also like a retelling love story very much like a pixar short before the movie type of vibe but it's like all this paper craft thing that's happening around you. And it's like a direct homage to, or not even an homage, like a direct, like just retelling and continuation of a trip to the moon, but in this new kind of spectation format. I mean, I think that's one of the really interesting, like just thinking about the plot of this movie, like it being about clones, you know, I mean, the movie itself is kind of a clone and harkening back to these sort of earlier genre tropes and archetypes and sometimes feeling so generic a little bit in like the screenplay yeah and also like i feel like part of that may be the fact that there are so many mutations and iterations and clonings along the way from the purchase of the script to the actual production of it and the way that it changed hands between people yeah and you know it's interesting that the result is this such an emotional movie that ang lee figures out how to kind of make thematically connected to Billy Lynn a little bit you know I've seen people comparing it to some of the to the, the plot of Hulk almost mm-hmm. which is also a movie about like daddy issues um and and kind of trauma from scientific experiments my friend that I saw it with we both saw it together two times but when we saw it the second time he was also talking about how like the action and some of like the ways in which the action is very hard hitting in a way that it yeah. might not be at a lower frame rate, but the way they portray it captures this capability of the high frame rate. He uh, compared it to Ang Lee's Hulk and some of the strange, like yeah. fumbling, but very impactful action in that movie. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting seeing that just generic pitch sold and passed around being brought into this kind of emotional worldview. And I feel like the, the high frame rate, and this does end up having kind of an emotional impact and resonance in like mm-hmm. relationship to the story. I didn't, you know, we, we didn't see Billy Lynn in the high frame rate, but I feel like you still kind of get the idea of what the high frame rate is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And it also sort of suggests this like, you know, this guy, this soldier coming back from war, he's traumatized, he sees the world differently now. And so you have to see the world differently. Yeah. And I think the version of Billy Lynn I watched was a slightly heightened frame rate I don't know if it was taken from like the 60 frames blu-ray that was released or how but it felt like a more fluid motion than a standard 24 
Yeah. But there are moments uh, that reminded me of Billy Lynn and Gemini Man, like um, and Billy Lynn, the way that they like visually represent graphic echoes and stuff and like things at the football game drawing him back to his experiences fighting in the military sparklers turning into like an explosion of dust from an rpg or something like that and it like ripples across the screen like food coloring dropping into it like a jar of water or something yeah it's i don't know that was something that i got reminded of in gemini man when like his friend who owns the yacht gets killed and the camera's underwater looking up at bodies being thrown down and yeah, then like oh my god the surf scene. the surface ripples change over to a first person view of will smith's dad grabbing him out of the water as a kid who can't swim and like forcing him back underwater telling him he's gonna learn and then it rippling to like his mom saving him and then he wakes up from this dream that he had seeing that in 3d was so crazy like it mm-hmm. just the transition into the flashback is so fluid and just you i don't know it, there's this falling sensation that i kind of felt yeah when that also was whenever it was underwater i guess this is getting toward metal gear again but there's like this digital chime sound whenever a body's floating underwater in that movie that plays that sounds like something out of the first metal gear solid i don't know there are a lot of moments in that movie that remind me of those games but Just ripping sorry oh dang but also another thing that really shocked me in like the 3d and everything was when they're in budapest and it transitions from Will Smith and Mary Elizabeth Winstead talking about going and meeting with the clone to them sitting in the car outside of the uh, the meeting space. And there's this dissolve between the two that looks really fascinating in 3D when mm-hmm. it's also devo- dissolving between like spatial relationships and you have like distance yeah. like merging into itself. I was really reminded of Billy Lynn um, specifically in there's a sequence where there's like a a training exercise for this military contractor and it just you know opens in the middle of this exercise you know you see like explosions you know hear gunshots these guys and you know these stormtroopers and like black armor jump out of these vans and then it just cuts to young will smith like eating an ice cream cone with his battle armor on but the sound continues like the right. battle sound doesn't even change in volume it's just constant the whole time as he's eating an ice cream cone yeah, so you don't even realize like until the next shot really fully that um, this is a training exercise. And so it just immediately, you know, like reduces the military combat to this kind of spectacle that's being performed, um, mm-hmm. which just reminded me of Billy Lynn because I feel like Billy Lynn uses the high frame rate and the just like overwhelming kind of smooth digital sheen to communicate a sort of like distance and a sort of disassociation from present reality that occurs because of PTSD and um, exposure to, you know, this extreme violence. But also that's like a great encapsulation of a lot of like the thematic relationship the movie has with like clones, I guess time and in general mistakes, but also I guess Will Smith's overall like conscious or conscience. That is the reason that he's retiring. And then the reason that he's being hunted down uh, by a younger version of himself when you have this like continuous sound of, of war that's already very plastic and, and fake and produced, but then you have like Will Smith who's like early twenties and he's just like licking an ice cream cone, holding it very daintily and everything. Yeah. I don't know, that I feel like is something that then comes on later on in the movie. When you very easily see that Will Smith or 
Jr., I guess, didn't really want to be doing any of this at all. That recreation, the the reenactment kind of training thing, reminded me a lot of film that I saw in a class a few years ago by the German video artist Harun Faroki, which is called Serious Games, which is the series of, of kind of documentary shorts about U.S. soldiers in, I'm not actually sure if in Iraq or Afghanistan, but you know, involved in the various American conflicts in the Mideast. And it's sort of about PTSD, you know, but also about the kind of gaminess of war and how war is turned into a game. So you see these kind of shorts that are these training reenactments where you have local people being paid to play villagers in a like distressed environment, you know, in their like fake town and, you know, uh, somebody runs in with like a fake bomb and everybody's screaming and you or know, there's then, like one of these like enemies holding a hostage. They shoot yeah. the enemy and then the hostage also has a gun. In those shorts, Harun kind of does the same thing um, that Ang Lee does here where like a, initially you don't realize that it's a, a training exercise and you think it's kind of like a real conflict. And then there's another another short later in the series where you see like this kind of you know, those like crude military video games um, for soldiers to train with. Yeah. That is like reenacting like a traumatic experience that a soldier had where like, you know, there was like an IED and exploded and they were, uh, you know, ambushed. You hear this like therapist like asking a soldier questions as they sort of narrate this experience and have this VR headset on of this animation of of this like terrible traumatizing uh, experience that they went through like trying to process that and then at the end you realize that it's actually just like a simul the whole thing is like a simulation and they're just like demonstrating how you would use this technology and the memory was actually fake and like this didn't happen to this person they were just acting it out and i don't know it's just i feel like there is just kind of in billy lynn specifically being about uh soldiers parading at a halftime show but also a little more subtly and kind of under the surface in gemini man there's just this like use of this technology to point out this kind of spectacle of of war yeah when that scene was happening it reminded me i mean you're watching it and it does feel very um the way that it's it's like presented is kind of overexposed it like feels very like too perfect and too scripted in the way that like a video game sequence is where it's like I mean, in video games, it's like you trigger something by walking a certain way and then like the game will grab hold of the camera and make you like see this one thing and it's all happening in accordance with your moving through the space. And this felt like that in a way. I mean, I know movies are like images that are all made and being produced for the viewer to see, but the whole thing like felt too like perfectly timed and everything to where it's almost like they were practicing exactly for the camera, which I mean, that is what they were doing. Yeah. And it reminded me a little bit of the Metal Gear Solid 4 opening for that reason, because it opens with people on this truck going into a town where there's a encounter between two opposing forces happen, and then you get out and you're fighting in this thing. Uh, but also it reminded me of just, like, I don't know, the way, like, old westerns, or old western uh, towns in general, but also the way westerns were shot with this, like, strip of, like, a town street there and then at the very end you have the people who are watching it happen giving people notes on what they did correctly or incorrectly to i guess achieve the perfect output of the situation which in this situation would be like um killing people using clone soldiers 
um, and kind of automating that as much as they could. It reminded me of both of those. Yeah, there is a like potent, I think, sort of commentary about mass production in in this, you know, the like clone army sort of thing. And inevitably, you know, makes you think about with Metal Gear Solid, you know, just other clone movies. <laughs> like Attack of the Clones, you know, Star Wars Episode 2 Attack of the Clones. Similar kind of digital experiment. I mean, the first major movie in the U.S. shot entirely, you know, in HD digital. And I feel like you can kind of read that movie as this conflict between droids and clones. And so, you know, you have like the robot side and then you have the side that looks human, but is still as artificially produced by, by science. And, you know, they're both these kind of assembly line product. And there's great emphasis in Attack of the Clones on assembly lines. Um, and you see both the clones, you know, you spend a lot of time with the clones and the droids on the assembly line. Yeah. I mean, eventually, like, kind of reaching ahead whenever you have, like, human characters going through this, like, frogger game of assembly line things that might kill them if they don't dodge them correctly. Yeah. I feel like you can kind of read that as, like, being about the tension between analog celluloid film and digital I love seeing film prints. No shade on that, but you know, sometimes there's a sort of hierarchy I feel like that gets established where it's almost as if film is like the natural thing, the way people talk about it as this sacred, you know, warm, living thing. It's almost like that's the natural and digital is the cold and the technological and the sterile. But they're both technology. You know, they're both these kind of produced artificial things. So I feel like Attack of the Clones is kind of working through that. Um, and another one that pops to my mind is uh, John Hyam's Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning, which is like Apocalypse Now, but a direct-to-video movie about the perfect clone soldier. Mm. It reminds me a little bit of, I mean, it, the whole thing does remind me a lot of like the Metal Gear Solid franchise just because they're very clear like trademark things that are taken from that which i mean calling metal gear solid like a wholly original thing i feel like is a pretty complicated thing just because it seems more like hideo kojima just got into making video games when they were like creatively vibrant and he just liked 90s and 80s high concept action movies a lot and would like just rip things from there yeah um like ripping names from escape from new york i don't know and and taking different concepts from all different types of movies but i guess in talking directly about kind of this weird like pre-tom clancy or maybe not pre-tom clancy but more fictional yeah. tom clancy type of like tactical and military like indexical type of appeal and that military realism but then mixing it with this sci-fi direction of the clones and you know they have these kind of like mystical powers it's not an original thing but it is an iconic thing just because video games didn't really have right. much like that in terms of like blockbuster story production for a long time. So a lot of people have made it into a much more iconic thing because I don't know, it's just gotten enough money over the years to be able to keep going and keep getting more strange and ridiculous. I mean, the story about the clones is a pretty obvious thing when it comes to, to Metal Gear, but also, I mean, the way those games end up working around to like the fourth game being about PMCs with no actual like involved parties fighting and they have guns with fingerprint scanners and everybody has nano machines in them. I don't know, getting down to making of like the perfect soldier clone 
and and putting them in i guess sometimes like slanted scenarios Mm. or just slightly less believable versions of these like stolen scenarios from different movies and things where you start to see a lot of like the walls and boundaries of like the military action fantasy thing and start to maybe think i'm not saying this is something that hideo kojima pursues himself but at least when i play them and think about them that's usually what i end up thinking about is the purpose of this clone who was made for the specific purpose being in these like simulations and scenarios and things and that's something that i think gemini man slowly starts to hatch at but also i think it engages with so much more directly yeah i mean you made a very good point about even the movie kind of like formally in the in the third dimension being kind of a clone you know the double oh it's got like two projectors two will smiths all those different frames per second and everything i mean even yeah the way it was captured and everything yeah you know i i feel like in talking about video games the new technology the the language with which it's communicated being so borrowed from video games themselves referring to you know this cinematic language it feels like i guess this sort of kind of odd feedback loop that in a way reminds me a little bit of almost like bullet time or something where bullet time in the matrix is influenced by video games but then video games coming after the matrix you know are trying to copy bullet time like in the matrix but also i mean like bullet time itself being something that i mean may not have a distinct like origin point but is most distinctly or at least most apparently borrowed from like people like john woo who were doing things with more stylistic slow motion action yeah and style and like the slow motion gunplay and then that being put in the matrix and then the matrix borrowing so heavily from video games and then starting to make like this big transmedia narrative through the different video games and enter the matrix and but then also yeah the max Payne games doing that becomes this kind of chicken and egg thing i guess probably reaching not a great endpoint, but a fitting endpoint. Not an endpoint, I guess, but a fitting conclusion to this kind of line, in my opinion, being the John Woo video game Stranglehold. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you are Chow Yun Fat, like doing the bullet time and you're like running off walls and. Yeah, there's literally like a bunch of stuff. You know, the, the combos you do that make it slow motion or like make you jump in or slide. Yeah, it's just like, I don't know, it's interestingly because this is like a future forward-looking movie trying to find an emotional purpose for new technologies. and But then referring back to video games that refer to movies, it's like, then is the future of movies just movies, you know? I don't know, it's, it's, it's weird seeing this kind of... The feedback loop. Right, and you know, and then it's like what impact will gemini man have on video games i don't know because like video games for the longest time just because they're immersed in like tech and computer culture are always about the next improvement you know the next thing and video games are these same like technical spectacles in their own way but it's just kind of been subsumed into the general language of them that it's not this thing where people are like oh gemini man looks like a tech demo they don't really say that about video games that much because like it's just kind of assumed that they are but one thing that is strange though about the movie or maybe not strange but strange in the way people talk about it being this like wholly new thing i get that 120 frames per second projection is 
I mean, it's something new that hasn't really been done before, but movies have been shot in like over 120 frames per second for a very long time. The only thing yeah. is that they're reoriented to be used as slow motion and they're always oriented around that same projection speed, which is something I feel like when people are talking about this movie, I feel like they just kind of miss the fact that movies just have been shot at higher frame rates before for slow motion sequences. Yeah, I mean, you saw another movie recently that was in a high frame rate. Yeah, it was called Aquarella by Kasakovsky. I don't remember his first name, but he's a Russian documentarian. It's shot in 96 frames per second, and the theater here uh, in Nashville was showing it in 96 frames per second. But it's like a documentary about just kind of different phases of water. Um, it starts off around all these icebergs and everything. And you see like struggles that people have who live around there and like cars getting lost under the surface of ice and everything mm -hmm. and like people falling in the ice. And you kind of see how people live in really big opposites, but similarly extreme conditions in relation to water. And it eventually shifts to like a hurricane zone in Miami, a big waterfall in South America. But also it's really strange because the whole thing is occasionally throughout the movie, they'll play songs by Apocalyptica. <laughs> the symphonic metal band um and then it'll go back to natural sound or yeah. i guess captured sound but that one was honestly like i guess i only saw it gemini man in 60 frames so 96 would probably be the most that i've seen but for the first like five minutes my brain was like trying to figure out what i was looking at like i really had a hard time just like sitting still for like four minutes mm -hmm. when the movie started up but it's actually really amazing just like watching this whole thing. And I've seen a lot of people talk about how, you know, high frame rate isn't really the future of movies because 24 frames per second, man. Um, but yeah. maybe it's the future of like documentary or VR video games, obviously, YouTube, stuff like that are a place where maybe it could lend itself. Yeah, more. absolutely. And, you know, I, I've been seeing some kind of panic and paranoia. I mean, mostly in regards to the de-aging, I think, more than the 120 frames per second. But I feel like both of those things have kind of are hand in hand because, you know, part of the, the incentive, I think, in using the high frame rate is to kind of make those effects look more seamless. And, you know, it mostly does, I think, work. The last scene, which is like the first time you see Will Smith and Will Smith side by side in like full daylight, he looks a little kind of video game avatar-ish that was like the only time like the face like jumped off the actor's body in a way like the rest of the movie it was like very compelling yeah and you know i, I will smith i feel like does some impressive stuff with his body as junior where it feels like if it, it beyond the face physically the way he carries himself and holds himself feels a lot younger i actually saw a clip of him talking about this on the red carpet premiere of the movie where he said for walking as junior also this is strange because Billy Lynn and this movie both have like a major character and like a character detail that's revealed and made a deal of is that they're virgins. Yeah, they do. Both. I say that because on this red carpet interview, I saw this thing about Will Smith playing it up for comedic effect, but he was talking about part of the way he would carry himself is like finding a way to capture what, how like a virgin walks. Oh my God. And like, that was an actual point that he said is like, <laughs> part of like the acting process for for acting as a junior and he said he just like you like hold your glutes together a lot more <laughs> so but that was part of the the like kind of the physical body acting process for that the performance deserves praise just for that like i think that's something that people are overlooking 
in the use of special effects to aid the performance. Like there's still a lot that he's doing himself, but I just mm -hmm. ultimately think that I like, this is such a complicated thing on all levels that I just don't really see like it becoming some kind of widespread format that threatens to overtake every other kind of frame rate or, or exhibition or shooting. And I mean, honestly, the same with de-aging. Like, I mean, de-aging is going to happen. But Gemini Man, it's just like at least in Gemini Man, it's given this like emotional weight as opposed to like Rogue One or something like that. Yeah, I was going to say like as, you know, time keeps moving on, like more star wars actors are gonna die yeah and the disney star wars movies that are being made now are just being made in this pursuit of totally recapturing the original trilogy in this way that i feel like they're definitely going to start doing a lot more like digital constructed body and and recapture kind of things don't blame gemini man for that you know yeah. blame disney don't blame don't blame angley one thing that was was interesting though about seeing Aquarilla, the 96 frames per second movie in this, is that all the movies that I've seen that are captured for more fluid motion mm -hmm. um, are always in some way about, like, mortality and maybe just, like, indifference in general. Um, but, like, the movie Aquarilla is, like, barely focuses on the human beings. It's kind of more just about, like, how, like, powerful and graceful, like, mm -hmm. water can be in the different ways that it manifests around the world and how indifferent it is to humans not in like some way where it's just like being inflicted on them but in a way that's like i don't know it's just it's there like you have yeah. to watch out for it because there are plenty of ways that uh like demonstrated in the movie that like it is like an extreme hazard but also something that's essential to life and gemini man's also this movie that's about i mean i guess time but also nobody in the movie like no main character dies except for maybe like the cigar chomping like <laughs> sidekick who flies the plane but um it's about how will smith being a hitman is very affected by the mortality of the people that he's mm -hmm. had to like take out for his job and like that's what makes people want to take him out is him being affected by it and trying to retire for it yeah it's very much i mean like billy lynn is about how war changes the way you see the world. I think this is kind of the same thing. Um, using this different way of seeing to communicate the, the the toll that violence has taken on the Gemini man. The Gemini man. Yeah. So uh, on that note, I think uh, probably time to, to wrap it up. Mm -hmm. Any final Gemini man or high frame rate? High frame rate uh thoughts uh not really i like have talked to people about this movie and they're like do you really like love this movie that much like why are you seeing it so many times and i'm like because i'm i don't think i'm ever gonna watch it after it leaves the theater yeah i just like or i'll probably watch it just to see maybe what the difference is but it, it will this is like a very singular experience kind of thing it really is and so i definitely you know if it's still out there in those I mean, even in the 2D, 2K, normal, ver standard version, I definitely encourage people to go out and see it, I think. Um, see, see double. See some double. Uh, yeah, I've already seen it double. Whoa. So that's, what do you think? That's like 16 loco. Gee. <laughs> what do you think is going to be the, um, the next thing to try 
like using a similar technology as like a plot point um i mean probably avatar too yeah i don't know what do you think i don't know is the thing because i don't this movie feels like very unique for some reason even though there is a long history of like you know young and old versions of the same person or like double versions of the same actor it probably will be avatar 2 though but avatar those avatar sequels have like since the movie came out there have always just been like just like lingering two years in the future and then they've never actually been made people are just like oh well you know they're gonna release it in two years james cameron just keeps keeps shifting up is really flexing on them i think yeah i am interested though because apparently supermassive games the um i think that's the name of the studio it's close though but people that made like the division and everything yeah apparently they're like a ubisoft studio but apparently they're signed on to make the avatar new video game for the new movies which ubisoft made the game for the original avatar movie and they like collaborated with weta digital and like exchanged assets between the two of them if they like the video game studio made like a cool helicopter they're like oh let's put it in the movie and so they're like hand off things like that and co-produce them at the same time but that game and then like the halo and like every sci-fi game ripping from like aliens and stuff are probably the reason that james cameron has like a bad taste in his mouth when it comes to video games probably so um yeah i don't know you know him and kojima do you think they would ever link up collab yeah do you think he knows who hideo kojima is i don't know i mean he likes we know that he likes anime so i could see Mm -hmm. him being a metal gear head yeah i don't know i think they'll collab maybe he'll be in death stranding maybe so anyways on that note yeah this has been hotbox the cinema seth where can the folks find you pretty much everything i guess is just on my twitter it's at asap sunscreen but that's just i don't know if i do anything i'm probably going to tell people on there about it that's the that's home base right there yeah and you can find me at trillmore girls uh still hopefully some point in the future not today because we recorded these two episodes back to back i will set up a hotbox hotline so you can leave your comments and questions and ideas uh, and or corrections exactly because we've probably got some things wrong um yeah we'll be back um, i don't know what what about but stay tuned for for more 420 frames per second
lot of weed, so they seem to forget. Who bought the trucks and them cars? Put you bitches at home. Who told your ass to take a bath until you thought you was grown? Man, I tell you, he a killer when we talk on the phone. When you see him face to face, he'll leave you alone. That's why I'm smoking on this fucking bed, laddin'. All my niggas in the hood, they got it. Take one little puff, you a addict. Take a gun to the head, knees tragic. Boy, I tell you like this, we can smoke it anywhere. In front of police station with a six-pack of beer. 7 a.m. in the morning, just watching people stare. Let them point them down, fingers say they wild over there. Who yeah. got that hydro? Who got that light green? Who got that Bobby Brown? Who got that Latin weed? Who got that hydro? Who got that light green? Who got that Bobby Brown? Who got that Latin weed? Who got that hydro? Who got that light green? Who got that hydro? Who got that light green? 